Hello. Welcome, Smileys. Tonight we are discussing chapter 13. God damn. Uh, Fall of Light by Stephen Erickson. Um, it's a more jovial, a little bit smaller chapter. Uh, I'm joined by Mora. Hello, Mora. Hi. How are you? I'm uh, pretty good. You? I'm nice. It's yeah. so small, chapter 13. Yeah. It's so tiny. So I just took it. And it's actually a joy, out. unlike the other chapters which we're summarizing. Yeah. Yeah. There's hardly any like moments of sadness or yeah. nothing to make us stop and like worry about what is going on. Oh, that's young people angst. Who cares? Yeah. 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 Feel free to take us I'm away. I'm I'm sorry. Right, right, right. Right. So, um, Fall of Light, Chapter 13, Scene 1. I've gone back to traditional naming. So, this is called Arathan and Korea. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Very, very simple. Let's keep it simple. It's a simple chapter. We have like what, 40, 45 minutes of recording and we can just move on. Okay, so Korea, it, the chapter starts with Korea telling Arathan he has freckles on his arms, right? And the chapter ends also with the same line that she's going to find a man with freckles on his arms. So this is like the through line of this chapter. So Arathan tells her that he's working with expensive vellum. Vellum is how we pronounce it, right? It's yeah, rare yeah, and it's a rare and expensive material. And so please don't start with me while I'm working. And he says he actually came to this place, which is like a small hidden house or a store or something, instead of working at the Tower of Hate, because he wanted some peace and quiet. Because people have been dropping in to visit Gothos all the time to complain about Hood, thinking that Gothos has some influence over Hood. So, Arthur has come here to get away from all that. Anyway, once uh, he asks who is this guy with freckles, and he learns that he's a dog runner, he tells her that it need not be freckles, it could be welts from like, Lice and ticks. And she says, that's not true. It's just him being a typical taste, classist, racist, whatever. She says they use oils to drown insects. And this oil also makes their arm hair glisten like gold. <laughs> Arathan then tells her to go, why don't you go sleep with him? Because, you know, and make it soon. Because he's probably going to start marching with Hood's army. Korea calls this, this is just absurd. They're not marching anywhere because who doesn't know where to go? And Arathan says, maybe he is waiting for more people to join them. Korea points out that the few people who have been coming now are all just spectators. And nobody is, you know, people have stopped coming. Is basically what she's trying to say. Uh, then she notices all the etched walls in that house. And she's told that this is not jagged script, but something made by the mad builders. So basically, mm -hmm. this chapter is just dealing with Azath houses. Whatever doubts we have yep. in Gardens of the Moon, more or less it's getting cleared here. So that one guy who read Tarkanas before Gardens of the Moon would have been like, ah, I know, I know this Azath, I know Finest. It must have been like that, right? So he's saying this script was made by the builders, the ones who make Azath houses. Korea calls this a very dumb idea because everybody knows Azath houses just appear. Nobody makes them, nobody builds them. And then he notices this acorn in her hand and says that there are no oak trees nearby. It's just so, so you know, abnormally slipped inside in that dialogue. They're talking about Azath houses and then all of a sudden he mentions the acorn and then they continue talking about the Azath houses. I don't know. It's a, bit, it's a bit clumsy if you ask me. Anyway, she says the Azath houses just grow up out of the ground. She has been told by Hout that the yards are always hungry and he founds, finds it all very ominous sounding and so decides to visit the one Azath house at the west side of the town and apparently it sprang up when Omtos was a thousand years old and <laughs> this made the jagged get angry. And they, you know, they decided to ignore it. Korea wants to come along, but then he reminds her. <laughs> what does he say? I think he feels freckles won't like that. Yeah. Then she has to hit back. So she tells him that there is no way Arathan will be allowed to leave and that he's hiding. And people have told her it's to do with a woman. 
and since arathan is a dumbass he doesn't say like what what woman he doesn't say that he says nobody knows about that here and <laughs> you're just making it up we just confirms her bluff and then korya asks about her and arathan just ignores her then they start going they go to the west end of the town to reach the azath houses is a house sorry and on the way she notices all these abandoned buildings which are being occupied now and they leave you know once out of this actual portion of the city that is all just ruins and overgrown gardens and all that arathan is impressed that they left all this behind just by the argument of a single jagat can something like this happen to the taist he wonders and korea says no they like their arguments messy and ugly and bloody she has received news of civil war from some deniers who joined yesterday and she says they were hunters whose mates and children were slaughtered in the forests and now they have actually lost part of their black skin and are now gray like the dog runners have a ritual of smearing ash during mourning they look like that but it's a more permanent look of mourning now mm-hmm. other dinner is supposed to be black skin no right i was going to say no no <laughs> yeah no so these might be like some renegade andy who have joined the deniers and like lost their black skin and then they have come here maybe so maybe corey just doesn't know enough about them yeah and maybe just like you know there are m- many paths to ascendancy there must be many paths to being leader is what we are going to finally reach a conclusion that's what i feel it's not like one mm, i can't say because you, you know later travelers yeah sure okay but yeah there is a lot more on the eater and the deniers later in this book which you are probably struggling with right now a little bit no comments yeah now anyway she tells him that she has to go back but arathan says she can't because she's not yet of the proper age she's still a hostage and she tells how it is looking for someone else to take her but she is so done with old men and old women and arathan says that you know he's so wise he so he says you shouldn't reject the wisdom of your elders and she tells him that he's wasting his life by scribbling the confessions of a jagat who is too spineless to commit suicide i think she says too weak need to commit suicide <laughs> okay then she tells him that there is sorcery all around them and they just have to reach for it but she hasn't yet reached because how it has told her that her aspect wait somewhere else her aspect is darkness that is a sorcery of mother dark herself right and she names it like kural galain i don't know whether she means the place or the sorcery name itself i'm not sure because it was only last chapter that galan had named it right so she yeah. probably mean just the city name or the realm anyway uh, arathan says uh, mother dark doesn't grant her sorcery to anyone so how is it possible she says it doesn't matter how it has explained everything to her and her aspect is darkness now when karish was killed krul's uh, sorcery was corrupted so it was answered by a cleansing with something elemental like darkness arathan asks about light and she says yes light is elemental too and so he points out that urusander and the legion now have a just claim in the power of the sea so the civil war is just she tells him the ends don't justify the means and arathan says gothos would have agreed with her since that is one of the core arguments he used against civilization all the crimes of progress happen with the goal of creating something better this thing about shell game do you want to read it out he says the culture's value system is in fact a shell game it changes in the name of convenience the stone is under one of the shells meaning all the others are hollow and therein lies the hypocrisy of a civilization's pronounced set of values even the weight of those values those stones changes depending on the whims of the one running the game yeah so korea tells him this this is my favorite she tells him it is easy to find flaws but it is much harder to find solutions and he tells her that there are no solutions the civilization they build since they are imperfect beings it's going to be an imperfect civilization they are all tyrants at heart so despots are going to thrive and they need to have historians to hide all their lies 
and they proudly wear the mask of civilization but it is still a mask and <laughs> korea has the best possible response to this she tells him what gotos deserves uh, a kick between the legs which i agree yeah, with wholeheartedly yeah i mean arathan says that even gotos is going to agree with her like it takes away the sting of it right like what's the point in kicking this guy if you saying yes i deserved it <laughs> so basically that's what she tells him she says it is no consolation and this is why she's done with all these old people hope dies to a 10000 small cuts and these guys are all scarred terribly she tells him civilization is a way to check their venal impulses and he tells her it works only till someone decides to twist it around all this is happening and then korea finally says kothos has made arathan much older before his time and he agrees yes he was a lot of hate is flawed and imperfect she's pretty frustrated and then she almost walks away from this house but arathan asks her she has come all this way so why don't you join us you know for to join me let's explore this house she decides to walk up the flagstone path the yard has only a few scraggly trees and mounds and they reach this door which is very solid looking and arathan says gotho said it it appeared a thousand years ago that can't be right right he al- already said something like the house appeared when the when omtos felak was a thousand years old not a thousand years ago is it see you just missing things um or maybe just on those felak is 2000 years old no yeah what i thought yeah yeah very that's fair. what i yeah. thought yeah which i think that introduces a lot of problems but we're not going to talk about those problems now it can't now. be like already in this chapter we know gotos has lived in millennia yeah it really can't be that omtos felak is like 2000 years old exactly Anyway, she says this house can't be that old. The fittings are still iron. They are not rusted, but it is black and iron. As a chemical engineer, do you have anything to add here? Oh, what God. exactly is black and iron? Um don't <laughs> just give it Generally a speaking, <laughs> iron doesn't blacken with time or age. It rusts mm-hmm. and you know, rust is an oxide, meaning mm-hmm. it is formed by the reaction with oxygen. Yeah. like other oxides like aluminum oxide it does not um i don't remember the word basically it doesn't protect the outer layer and so it permeates throughout the iron aluminum oxide for instance forms a protective film outside the aluminum and so it doesn't like beneath that you have proper aluminum iron doesn't have that if iron rusts it's going to rust within um black and iron as far as i understand it is essentially iron that's been preprocessed with a certain chemical usually some black oxide to protect it against rust which is rather advanced metal working for a civilization like the jagged we're going to get there too just patience oh, two weeks from now is, give or take is it like, <laughs> is it like any alloy of iron you can make which keeps it black is it what you're saying what it's do you add to it per se it's more like a coating not exactly a paint but it's more like something you put on top rather than you know mm-hmm. yeah why is it that advanced because the, those materials aren't really you know something you find lying around most of it is synthetic at least the ones we use now mm-hmm. okay okay thanks so it doesn't make sense basically yeah nothing about it's the jagger makes sense but it makes you know. sense right it's there is a house anyway yeah. she says something like the house feels dead and he bangs on the door but it's a solid doesn't move doesn't there is no like i don't i think they don't even hear an echo of the knocking and all that and he turns around and watches as korea just off handedly throws the acorn into the yard which is like immediately taken over and the earth forms a mound over it and uh, a small tree grows out of it and at that time the ace's house groans and the door clicks you know 
open, he pushes, the door opens. And both of them go inside. And she explains that the acorn is actually a finis. What exactly is a finis? You just have to wait like 11 books to reach here. <laughs> a finis is a place to hide power or a soul or to imprison something. She tells him that that ancient god which she and Hout had trapped, that was in the finis and that's what she has thrown into the yard. They see that the angry god is trying to escape and one of the branches splits open and this is when the two run into the house. And as soon as they go inside, the door shuts and latches itself. And they wonder who opened it the first time. Okay. Good Scene point. Two. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, go on. So, no, about what I want to mention is earlier, uh, not about the Finnis, but earlier when they were talking about, uh, you know, Gothosa would agree with you and whatnot. Um, so, for one, um, what they were talking about how Cruel's magic needed um, purging, this is actually yeah. something Dracones mentioned in Forge of Darkness. At the time, it seemed more of a cope. Like, you know, I didn't fuck up. She'll, she'll fix it. You know, it's fine. We'll just give it to her and she'll fix it. Um, okay. Now, it seems like it's more part of a plan go, gone awry, which, you know, partly means that Arastas is to blame for everything that's currently going on, but let's not get there. Um, we can blame Arastas as long as you're clear that Graconos is the one who commissioned him to start doing this thing. Fair so enough. We'll just um, stop it there and go on. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, Arastas killing Karish and then Draconis giving the Terendai, who is tainted by Mother by Karish's blood, into Mother Dark, set off a chain reaction, basically, that's been going on for a while. Be it the death of the Sheikh God, uh, Cruel's journey in this book, or even what Hood and company are doing. That's one thing. Uh, the other thing is, you know, the ends don't justify the means. Arthur makes a very good point that they have a just cause for the civil war, except. At what point does a just cause justify some unholy means? And what means are unholy exactly? Which, if you haven't noticed, is a recurring question throughout the book. I generally want to... Well, most people, I think, would want to empathize with the Legion, except for the fact that they're assholes, apparently. But they do have a just cause. It's just being hijacked by someone else for their own purposes. <coughs> <Rastus. coughs> You can see the parallels go throughout the book, right? It's not just like it's not just the Legion being hijacked by Ral and his posse for their own purposes. It's also maybe even Spingal in this book, right? In this chapter, who wants to go like see death up close as an Adapani. Um, to Rastas hijacking Cruel's warrants to make his tiles. To I don't even know anymore. Like there's a lot of things that this theme can apply to. And Arthur and Coria just basically summarized all of that theme in two paragraphs. And it it's not without... exactly subtle, <laughs> but it's good writing, I think. Yeah. We need a breather like this, you know, once in a while. Yeah. Right. Other than that, uh, about the Finnist, we, from Garden to the Moon, we learn it's only for Jagged, and it's only a repository for power. Apparently, it also stores souls, or secrets, or yeah, is a prison. I think it's a very, very nice parallel. Is it, was it today? Yeah. Yeah. What did you With, call uh, the With the Horcruxes. Yeah, I had And I said specifically without the soul splitting stuff because I forgot that it's a thing here, and also because it's not mentioned in Gardens. But yeah, uh, oh, that's but a it's thing. It's possible to have soul splitting because Korea basically tells him that, right? A finish can store a soul. Yeah. Why can't it store a part of a soul? Yeah, no, for sure. Right. Okay, let's move on to the brothers. Yeah. Scene yeah. two, Hout and Hood. Once again, please listen to the audiobook. These two voices are excellent. All the jacket are really excellent. But Hood is like one of my favorites so far. Hood is amazing. Yeah. Hood is yeah. my favorite for sure. Yeah. I mean, he nails it. God of death, he nails it. That's all he must have gone by, right? Like, who is Hood? He's the god of death. And so he just ran with it. So, yeah. 
these two are sitting in front of an illusionary fire there's not much warmth left and how tells him that they have a problem he tells him that this um, they killed the azath house long ago but the elder <laughs> uh, the elder spirit which is now trapped there is too powerful for this old yard who remembers that they had fed nine of their kin to the house and how it reminds that it was a long time ago like i think 500 years ago how tells him to summon a builder but who says that he has a better option he's going to call the seragal to help him i mean this chapter do you think it is so blatant like in your face what's going on the first time i read fall of light i was like i had no clue what is going on but now it's like erickson is just hitting you on the head saying this is letheras this is a old dead isat house these are the five toblekai gods trapped in the yard why the fuck are you putting these things together it's like so obvious like i did also mention like we did mention did, did we mention it i don't remember if we did um about like hanako and dark tennis and whatnot and how there's a you know oblala gets a, a mace that's yeah, literally yeah. named i killed the dragon dalk yeah. um oh, no, i don't think we mentioned on the pod i think we just discussed yeah it. i made a post about it a while ago but yeah okay. um if you didn't know yeah there's a lot of hints sprinkled throughout like this place is meant to be letheras or something akin to letheras maybe eventually or like a layer of letheras on top of this yeah Okay. Uh, this begs the question of where, like, where did Karkanas and all of those other cities go? But we'll get there when we get there. They're underwater. Maybe. Oh, was it Kolanse? Do you think the cripple god destroyed Kralgulim? No, right? They do go to Kral. They do go to Karkanas. It's just like it's just layers. It's like you know, layered cake. One layer is Letheras. You dig a little bit deeper, and you find Karkanas. But sorry, please, can we go? Can we go back to my summary? Yeah. I was yeah, trying yeah, like. Yeah. very stupid when i saw the seragal and felt like extremely dumb right so who says these guys are so arrogant that they you know considering themselves as gods and they're derided mm-hmm. by fellow toblakai and thelomen and everyone and they don't have the art of taking a bath right so that's why he wants to send them and the yard is going to welcome them and even their old mm-hmm. lost kin also and if he mm-hmm. wants he tells how you can still summon the builder but he's not going to rush to you anyway now they discuss about korea and how her instincts are very sound uh, who tells them that the seragal will be sent and is going to test them in the azat yard what is how tell him hood you will be the, you will be the death of us all and then hood says i will indeed how yeah. do you now hesitate then he says that there is no need to find a minder for korea there is she will have arathan and they will return to coral galen so how does is this a prophecy actually in this chapter you see that hood somewhat gains the sight of prophecy but mm-hmm. in this specific instance with arathan and korea he says it is something prosaic he just showed to the shit on my mic i'm very sorry should i repeat <laughs> yeah yeah he just uh, tells them that please. yeah he just tells them that uh, he's going to kick them back to coral galen there's no prophecy involved here he's just going to do it himself right mm-hmm. scene 3 is the seragal telakai hout and hood now the seragal leader nice. claws through his beard bits of food fall out and he's sitting there bragging about something you know about how they are different other toblakai worshipers and telaka and telomen fearers etc <coughs> so scene 3 is called the seragal the telakai and hout and hoot this seragal leader <coughs> oh god my voice is gone the seragal leader he claws through his beard and he's sitting there bragging that you know how they are all different and the other toblakai worship them and even telaka and telomen uh, fear them as he saying mm-hmm. all this they hear is not from beyond the circle of light and they say it's just you know it's a curious telakai who's following them around what is her name uh sultanus hesericol <laughs> sultanus hes 
Eracle. Do we have something to say? Let's just remind everyone this is spoilers. Yeah, let's save this for when we get there. Empire. Yeah. When we get where? It's one page down. You'll say. <clears throat> I mean, fine. Right. Okay. Fine. Okay. Let's wait. So it is this Telakai who is just following them around, and she tells him that she is waiting for one of them to wander from the safety of the pack so that she will challenge them and kill them. The leader tells her to just you know fuck off because who needs them. <laughs> Then Wood goes them a little bit, and then the guy asks, "Why are you suddenly doubting us? If he wants, I can cha- face any challenges and all that." And then Wood says he doesn't want to lose more allies, so let them show their prowess by facing an ancient enemy. And then I think how takes them away. Then Eracle returns to the fire and says, "The games you indulge in, Wood." She asks if she is joining. He asks if she is joining this, you know, legion. She calls it what legion? It's a mob of fools, but she is there for vengeance. Who knows about her tale, which we are not told? Then he says, "You know, you have a son. Think about him or something." She says, "I am not just um, okay. He's on a stout ship and he's safe. The High King has sent his protection on there." Then Rabi, do you want to add something like my king, Kalor, environmental king, and something? But then she no, says that tell like I fear no one. Yeah, 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 eco-friendly. <clears throat> Who says he worries? And she says that she is more than a mother. She is a chosen huntress of her tribe, and she is here hunting. One day these guys will make a mistake, <clears throat> and she will kill them. Hood says it won't work, so she better go to the Azar's house and make sure that the yard takes them. He then says they killed the guardian of the house about five hundred years ago, and he owes the guardian an apology. Even though he didn't actually do the killing, he's saying that he is taking responsibility on behalf of his race. It is only civilization that allows you to evade such things. She decides to do what Hood suggested, but then asks what he has seen of her son. He says he sees him in the shadow of the high king, which is not a good place to be. Now, do you want to talk about it? Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> if you've read Return of the Crimson Guard, you probably know who he's referring to. If you haven't, I'm about to spoil the shit of Return of the Crimson Guard. So <laughs> there is a telekai named Eriko, who is in the company. Who, if you know, you know Eriko, Eriko, very clear similarity. Uh, who is in the company of Traveler? <laughs> And for some reason, which is justified in the book of like, you know, they aided my enemies or some such shit, um, the High King, the Good King Kalor, has um, <laughs> essentially elected to kill all Thelagai for, you know, as you do. And Erika was purportedly the last of his race, and that they meet Kalor, and Kalor basically kills him without a fight. Because Erika was accepted as fate, and like, yeah, no, I'm not gonna fight you, fine, just kill me, whatever. And then he mocks Traveler, and Traveler bitch slaps him because of because it's Traveler, so, yeah. But, neat callback, uh, further confirmation that the High King in question is probably Kalmor, and if you have heard of Walking Shadow, you probably know it actually is. Um, yeah, neat. And also, I think someone asked him the high, about the High King Kalor. I I'm very sure it is Erika who says something like, there are many high kings. There are many. Yeah, there are many warlords. Like I think it's like yeah, there's yeah. too many warlords. Something like that. Yeah, he doesn't like confirm or deny that that high king is this high king, but yeah. it comes up. <clears throat> so again, very nice. Once again, I felt very foolish because you know what? When I read Karkunas for the first time, I had not yeah, read, read Novels of yeah. the Malazan Empire. Yeah, this is so why I we mentioned like... reading the Novels of the <laughs> Empire before you read these books. <clears throat> I mean, like two things: the Witcher and Eriko. What else do do they Interests. And what the Azath and I are, and what the Azath are about, and Telan, and a whole lot of other things. But hey, whatever. Yeah, it's just it's just these and, two and things. And also, and also, why not? Why not? Those six books. Have and also, why it. not? And Gothos. 
there's a lot more goth oh, in, oh my know, god there is yeah, blood and bone yeah. that like is much more like fod and fol gothos than anything in the book of the fallen yeah i mean he doesn't like invite people and make them tea and shit it's just goth no, just being like trash talks a circle for like yeah. a book yeah we got off track yeah okay um yeah but i think he has the same mannerism don't you think in ost he has the same tapping fingers yeah there is something about his fingernails and tapping or something like. i okay. think like i think blood and bone was written after forge of darkness came out which is probably why but yeah it's very much you know it's it so oh. yeah okay it's very much you know that just... type of gothos yeah yeah okay anyway. now <clears throat> now hood is actually so seems to have the gift of prophecy as he's drawing mm-hmm. closer to death's way and he thinks that it is its flavor is timeless so past present future everything feels like one and then she says something like death like a people now yeah. i just want to ask you you've not seen arrival movie right no amy adams i think you should you just should this this line okay. reminded me of that and i think if you re- uh, it's actually based on a short story if you want to finish reading that quickly we can talk about that mm-hmm. i've not read the short story yeah. i've only seen the movie and the movie is really really good okay you want to go to scene 4 uh, i actually want to talk about something because he mentions you know oh. the veil of death and how its flavor is timeless so in chapter 4 oh. after caplo gets bitten of this book, okay. FOL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we get a scene between Finara and Rash, in which they talk about veils. This is a world of many veils, etc. And um, more specifically, uh, they say, you know, to draw something back from deep in death, hang on, into the live, um, yeah, to draw something back from deep in death into the living world must perhaps demand the same among the living. If a warlock seeks to journey both outward and inward in search of the one place where they meet, then the corollary is one of contraction, to collide in the same place, the same existence. For the dead to walk back into life, the living must walk into death. Yada yada. Um, I'm like seriously yeah. shocked. Power consumed, offering the strength to tear the veil between the living and the dead, and so defy the laws of time. Time, warlock, not place? <coughs> they may be one and the same. The dead dwell in the past, the living crowd the present, and the future waits for those yet to be born. Yet in birth they are flung into the present, and so the future ever remains a promise. These two are veils. With our thoughts we seek to pry our way into the future, but those thoughts arrive as dead things. It is a matter of perspective, you see. To the future, both present and past are un- um, are dead things. We push through, and we make the as yet unknown, unknown world a better version of our own. But with nothing but lifeless weapons to hand, we make lifeless victims of those yet to be born. Which is rash moping for a whole page. But mm-hmm. the point is, we do get <laughs> a lot of this of mentions of veils and veils of time and veils of space. And the veil of death, which is a proper noun, veil, capital of A, yeah. of yeah. death. Um, and what is interesting is the fact that Resh knows about this and can speak of this before the awakening of sorcery on a wide level means that this is not something completely new. This is something that warlocks, or something akin to them, have studied in the past. Maybe not to the extent that Hood is trying to do, not like literally walk into death and declare war on it. Um, but more so, in a way, this is perhaps something that others may have considered since... I'm grasping at straws here, but, you know, what with the talk of thrones and the throne of night and the throne of dark and the throne of light to be created. Um, and there's, like, 
I guess, stole a short and told the hounds, saying, you know, what of the throne of life and the throne of death and the throne of whatnot? Yeah. Or the hounds of thereof. Um, <clears throat> maybe some other crazy bastard tried to grab the throne of death before and reasonably failed because we don't have a god of death at the moment. But maybe this isn't the new thing. Now, I say maybe because I don't even know. It's not tackled in the book, if you're wondering. This is, this is my speculation completely based on this. Um, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Take a shot each time you say maybe. <clears throat> I mean, that's Karakanas in a nutshell, right? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> anyway, please continue. Right. Uh, scene four, Arakan and Korea. They are in a sitting room where there is a fireplace with embers in it. Can you believe it? There's nobody there, but it's an ember-filled fireplace. There mm-hmm. are dog runner rugs, which Korea recognizes. Arathan doesn't know about all this. And she says that's because he hasn't walked in their camps or joined their fires where women make stone tools and boys learn to make nets and snares before they... What happened? Nothing, nothing. Just because, well, for one, <laughs> the casual racism, but also it doesn't make sense for them to only use stone and bone and antler and stuff like that. I'm still salty about that. We're going to get to that eventually when we get there. We'll we'll just allot a separate hour for you to rant about stone stone age and whatever ages you want to talk about. So so these boys, they have a tradition of uh, year of wandering. Arathan seems to like the idea. And in spite of the fire, this house definitely looks empty. Maybe it opened to them to protect them from this old god in the yard. And that's when a ghost appears, a ghostly dog runner. It has a hole in his chest where its heart should have been. And Korea like literally calls it apparition. We beg forgiveness for this intrusion or something. She just calls him that. And he says the dead are unforgiving. They don't need to beg pardon or plead indulgence or whatever. I, I, we, we love this guy, right? We love Caddick, right? Yeah, yeah. So he simply doesn't care. But then Arjun asks, what does he want of them? And he says, only what all old men want, an audience for his story. Then Arathan asks Korea if this is the company, like this dog runners, is this what she's willingly seeking? <laughs> she says that probably dying has changed this guy, but you know. <laughs> and the ghost says, I'm being ignored, and this is typical. Once I was a bone caster, and I was stubborn or addled or both. And he says that some delusions are comforting and some truths are unpleasant. I'm just skipping over a lot of his mopey things. I mean, it's just him ranting. It's fun, but there's nothing much going on there. Then Arathan wants to know how he came to this house. He says, how? By the front door. And then he asks how, you know, who killed him? And he says it was a jagged who undertook fatal exploration of the magic within him. Do they give you thaumaturg vibes? Are thaumaturgs like part jagged? Did they yeah, that's, that's a very good point, <laughs> actually. Yeah. So all they found when they did this, you know, living dissection was life's path. This path was quenched in that exploration, which of course this guy had predicted, but nobody listened. So he says that when, the next time you meet Jagat, can you please pass a message? <clears throat> just tell them I told you so. And if you're brave, just add idiots at the end. Then Arathan... <clears throat> Arathan... <laughs> yeah? Arathan named... Just a friendly reminder that this is the same book that has, you know... People killing themselves in tents because of self-recrimination. Yeah. Then Arathan talks something about Gothos and the dog runner who finally gives his name as Guardian Cadig Avel. Says he has been looking for this jacket because he said he's going to commit suicide. And is he still alive? That's very typical or something. And Arathan says he's writing his suicide note. And um, yeah. So Cadig uh, tells him, you know what? Do you think that we are talking so much about suicide and suicide notes? Should there be like a trigger warning? 
I don't know. I don't know. We're treating this all very lightly, but I'm not sure. Um, <clears throat> more so because we talked about Gothos, like whenever Gothos is mentioned, it's pretty explicit that his suicide note is meant to be a statement a on his part. Statement of life or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah of, right, of life's values. It's not so yeah. much, you know, I'm going to actually do it. It's like, I'm doing this to show the absurdity of actually doing it. Like an Which unending suicide note, right? It's, it's unending. Something. Yeah. I mean, I, I was not sure. I was not, I, I don't know. I just got the idea. Because... Maybe it's a good idea. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> then Caddick tells them that if they had agreed to listen to his life story, they would have heard a list of deeds, like his crimes, his regrets, his loves, more regrets. In fact, they would have been, you know, treated to a whole litany of regrets. After all, isn't life story nothing but a suicide note? And he doesn't know if he makes sense anymore because so far he has been his only audience for so long. And there was too much cat calling <laughs> derision. Then Arathan tells him about Hood's plan and this legion which is gathered. The ghost is very offended at this. He says, why won't the living leave them alone? I'm sorry. It's just, it's so funny. Like Everywhere it's like, oh yes, we have to go to the... I can't be coherent, sorry. He says something like the realms of the dead. It's an awesome place. There are no arguments. There are no preening. There are no grudges. And even vengeance seems laughable at this place. There is a bit there in which he says, like, the audiobook goes, it's laughable. Can you believe it? Ha, ha, ha. The audiobook just... <laughs> He's really good. So, <clears throat> he tells all this. And finally, what does Korea say? Mother, save us. She's just so done. And she turns back to the fire. And this is when the, this ghost says, okay, one lost and one still good. <laughs> one still to go. And this is when he realizes what he's doing. And then he tells Arathan, you can bring up anything else so that you, I can dismantle that idea. And Arathan says, why bother? And the ghost says, yeah, you have a point. And <laughs> it vanishes. Right. <clears throat> now, do you have anything to add here? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I just want to say that like, this is the same book that had, you know, <laughs> shit like that. that. Uh... Yeah. And then also, it also had lots of rock and race, so I guess I can see the point. But um, yeah, uh, this is somewhat of a confirmation of what Corey said earlier about like how old men will hope dies to a thousand, to ten thousand small cuts, and these men around us are mostly discard. He basically, like Caddick, for all his hilariousness, basically indulges and finds funny in the tearing apart of like delusions of young people and their hopes for the future, which isn't all that good. I mean, he's funny, and he's treated as funny by the narrative. It's not, like, supposed to be, you know, depressing and, oh, woe is me, like, I don't know, fucking no golf balls. Um, but, yeah. You're not happy with the way he's shutting down the young people. No, I mean, it's not like I'm not happy with it. It's like the narrative disagrees with his assessment. But it is a little funny. It's very funny, yeah. Okay, so once he vanishes, Arathan tells Korea, he must tell what his ghost has said about the realms of the dead. So it's a real place, it exists, and so he better tell Hood. Korea says that they won't be welcome, and he says that's fine, this is war after all. And Korea says the dead have no reason to fight, and what does Arathan say? We will give them a reason to fight, which is just so dumb. Then Korea says, oh yeah, she has some good comebacks here. Some woman hurt you. I'm not using that exact phrase, but she says something like, he, some somebody hurt you. And that's not a good enough reason to abandon the living world. And the people in Hoot's army, their grief is a real thing. What? You I just want to say. Now. Yeah. 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 It's not just like some woman hurt you. It's some woman jangled your jewels and stole your I heart. Mean, 
and it's I just can't say that. <laughs> it's just, how can you not say that? It's yeah, oh. yeah. I can see. <clears throat> the thing is, there is a fine line between telling your friend, "Get over it, get over yourself," and you know what you're going through is not a big deal, and supporting them. Like I understand what you're going through is something really. You know, when you you see your friends like this, right? You don't know which way to treat them. It depends on your friendship and the way that person is. But it's a very fine line. So it's mm-hmm. very nice that Korea takes this route with Arathan because she's not exactly that type of supportive person, right? Like, okay, you're hurt. That's fine. But you know, don't do this. It's not like that. She just yells at him. It's Hoots Army's grief is a real thing. It's a serious kind. It crushes everything inside them, and in a way, most of them are already dead. We should remember, Arathan is not something, he's just like had a bad breakup or anything. He's like, he's been through a lot for a young guy, for a teenager. He's been through really a lot. But you know, she tells him to get over himself. And he says she's wrong because people like Hout and Verandas and all, they have not come out of grief. And she says that's, you know, the jagged sick sense of humor. And they've come out of loyalty. And Korea regrets that she didn't go with the Jalek. You know, maybe even now she can run into them on the way back to Kural Gerin. Again, I skipped a bit. If you want to supply no, it, please no, no, do. No, no, it's fine. No, I'm sure. What, why did she miss the Jalek? What did she want to learn with it? Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, it's a big mystery. So maybe she thinks that, you know, maybe I can run into them on the way back to Kural Galen. And then there is sudden thunder and the house starts sweating. The ghost reappears and says, look what you've done. We are getting more company <laughs> now. And you two are not going to replace me because you're too eager for the world and too hopeful to be a guardian for a prison. And then they realize the Jagat knew all along that this was a prison. Now they wonder why do the Asatanai worship a prison, right? Because... Which is a very good point. Yeah. And anyway, they decide to go to the tower and open a window and look out and see what's happening outside. What's happening outside is scene five, the Seregal showdown. How watches the leader escape the yard. It starts from the end of the fight. So he's hurt and he's lost his weapon. And how thinks that's the problem with the ancient gods. A reluctance to die. <laughs> and one more Seregal almost escapes. But uh, the Telakai woman, Erekol, is still there. She stabs him. And then the leader brings his group together and they form like a defensive cordon. Uh, by Hout's count, I think five are missing. Mm-hmm. Did you guess there would be five missing? And the yard starts settling down. Hout notices the two faces at the tower window and wonders how these two got in. Erekol says that Korea makes her skin crawl because she stirs up trouble in the camp by mocking Hoot's followers. Now, who escapes the Azad house? Gethol. Um, Gethol, yeah. He escapes it and Hout welcomes him and tells him that Gautus is going to be pleased. Again, this guy also asks the same thing. So he's not yet dead. And he tells him that five are down. The five Seregal are down and that should do for the house for now. And Kadig is also dead, but Gethol says he feels some living spirits inside the house, which is Korya and Aratan. Hout then catches Korya's eye and waves her down. Then the jagged make their way to the Tower of Hate, where Gothos is staying. And Gethol says, it feels like he almost never left. 500 years and Gothos is doing the same thing. Right. Yeah. Scene 6, the Ilnap. <clears throat> now, remember the three Ilnap? Cred, Brella and Stark. They had a living claim. And these were the guys who accidentally summoned that ancient god, right? the sea god. So, Cred notices that the fire is dying. Not his magic, nothing. Just the fire. Something is stealing the heat. Brella says, then they just have to starve. Or Stark says, maybe we can learn to eat raw things like the dog runners. Brella gets mad again. And, what you know, one more person. Yeah? Seriously, what's with the racism towards dog runners? What gives? Come on. See, 
I'll tell you, it's because the dog runners are the only ones who are still using stone weapons. That's why they have not evolved yet. All the others are using metals, and these guys haven't evolved, and so everyone looks down on them. Right. And it's so yeah. obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Then Brella says that you know only if she she has to be so ignorant if she thinks that dog runners don't cook their food, and she scolds a younger woman saying, "Look at this belligerence showing up on your face. You look just like your mother and all that." May the sea hold her rest her soul. Cred says that Stark's mother would have defied the water filling her lungs, and he had admired it in the days before magic. But now he feels the ghosts of that time has returned, like when they used to feel helpless, and he sits facing all that he has lost. Stark tells her she is nothing like her mother, and Brella is nothing like her daughter. Who is Brella's daughter? The captain. She's a blue, blue captain without the name. Who tells Arathen that don't make your first one or your last one or something like that. Yeah, so this captain, she has cast aside her name and her relationship in order to command this broken army and beaten refugees. And it was a high king's fleet which broke their high bond. And if anything, it was Brella and her daughter who can claim the royal line even now. Uh, she snorts, but you know, Cred still persists. Brella held the living claim and gave it to him for safekeeping. We discussed this living claim thing before, right? We are still not very sure what it means. As you said, it's just like you know, who is a direct descendant or something. Yeah, it's and the living a... claim to the uh, the lost round. Yeah. You know? Yeah, maybe. This could be Which, by the way, these scenes. are all the most like generic fantasy ass names ever. You know, the living claim, the lost throne, the first betrayal is the last betrayal. Like what the fuck? Am I reading like nineties pulp fantasy would give What? What? How dare Come you? Come on. How, how dare you? Come on, this is the most like this is the most like prophecy shit ever. Fine. Fine. Don't worry. We're going back to a very non-90s pulp fiction chapter soon, so which you are going to be summarizing very soon. So that okay. So and you know anyway, this is all just a bunch of politics. She uh, she chose this title of captain because she sees no future for them, and that is why they are here. It was prophesied that their first betrayal would be their last. See, you've taken the spirit out of my summary. Realize sorry, done sorry. with all these pointless words, and defeat is their addiction, and the daughter claim leads them on a path of no return. And in this path, the living claim lives no longer. Stark curses the High King, and Brella says there is no point in cursing him because what they did was ride his coast and loot his merchants. Can if you know for our audio listeners who can't see what's going on, there is Lee sitting with a huge heart. What what do you call that? A heart on your hands, whatever. Yeah, heart symbol. He's making yeah. a heart because we're talking about Calder right now. So. What the Ilnab did was ride his coast and loot his merchants and sink their ships for years and years and years. And his retribution was just. She walks away and then Cred once more looks at the dying fire. His magic is the same, but the fire is low. Stark says maybe something else is feeding on what they're offering. Something is stealing this heat every day. Outside, the world is preparing for a time of breeding and renewal, but it is not so here in this camp. And then Cred realizes that maybe they have drifted inward. You know, curling down a spoke to settle on the hub. And at the very heart of that hub is Hood. Hood. And he's traitor. Hood. It has begun. Hood. It has begun. Hood. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah. So this chapter is where it begins. Right? Yeah. You know, if you've seen Game of Thrones, if someone says it begins, the correct response will be, no, this is where it ends. So yeah. Oh, okay. Scene seven. Scene seven. There is Verandas and Spin Spingal. How do you say it? Spingal. Spingal. She's an awesome gal. That's why she's Spingal. Yeah. So, Verandas asks Hood what, what he's doing. He's ending time, of course. And yeah, what does he reply? No wonder it's taking so long. It's taking so long. And then there's one Azathanai who was hiding like a jagged. Spingal joins them. 
and sorry and i think there was uh, some talk long ago where they were wondering who is this jagat azathanai and why they have not found her yet or found that yeah. person yet it's her yep. it's pingal and varandas wonders you know he thinks that maybe she will challenge hood but he says he is proof against challenges that varandas calls him a dullard and you know let reason bludge and let dullards and the witless defy it with piggy eyes and pressed lips and they declare the stars are pot studs in the skies velvet and beasts are nothing but fodder for their appetite they take pride in their stupidity he wonders why every civilization has a time like that where idiots dominate the discourse he keeps ranting and then who does are you done and he says the witless don't comprehend rhetorical questions <laughs> so on and so on yeah <laughs> and that's when asking <laughs> thing that reaches them i mean see uh, i let the joke works but also i'm like very sure varandas knows what he's doing like he's jagged it's not like he's just cluelessly going on talking right he knows what he's yeah. doing he's, he's just saying <laughs> okay so spinal reaches them and calls hood clever for bringing the realm to them you know and she was a one hidden asathana who everyone thought had fled but apparently she had just stayed hidden in the tower of hate all this while varandas says she made a mistake by taking the guise of an extreme beautiful woman because you know jagat is skinny and she is very curvy and so on and she offers to oblige him in kind and make him a woman but he refuses and steve is telling us i shall remain content with occasional misapprehension so yeah verandas tells hood that he agrees it was a clever thing to do and then hood says even the witless sometimes shed a spark and hood says he always thought the tower of hate was solid and she tells it's the jagat propensity for taking things too literally and not figuratively enough and she tells him that this molestation of time is unwise and hood says hood my favorite hood he says wisdom is overrated and then spinkel says she will join them just out of curiosity and she is fascinated by this concept of death where soft shells decay once the spirit has fled and they seem so afflicted by the concept of death veranda says not all jagat feel that way and sometimes the flesh is a very vessel and death may be a relief or an escape you want to read the next bit i think i've just copy pasted the whole thing but why confound a soul yeah but why confound a soul with the uncertainty of its immortality perhaps ventured hood to awaken in us the value of faith and what value has faith hood belief exists in order to humble the mundane world of proofs if mortal flesh is a prison so too is a world too well known within and without we desire and perhaps need a means of escape an escape you name faith thank you hood you have a night in the way not too much one hopes lest all <laughs> one die in your lavender eyes verandas <laughs> verandas he's in love and she says something like beauty desires admiration until it tires of it i think you want to talk about the concept of faith um yeah so huh um <clears throat> basically <laughs> yeah the dragon seemed to treat um their soul as immortal as in their dead flesh is a prison for their soul and spingel then asks reasonably why then confound the soul with the uncertainty of its immortality like if you treat death as a relief and an escape then why treat a soul as if it's immortal like okay it dies and it's just trapped forever in your body then what what do we do next and todd replies that then because we do that because we need to have faith we need some concept which offers that escape and that concept we call faith and so belief 
is our mean the means of escape for our souls because as is often the case in such discussions the ultimate goal is humility a Without world humility. too well known is mundane it's boring it's uh, a prison in and of itself what happens without humility um i think the last chapter we were told there is no growth oh no. right yeah that was raised right the superior intellect thinks yeah it is yeah yeah of course it was raised no what humility. am i saying well, of course yeah, of course yeah um yeah i was thinking more of capital so, and rash because yeah but yeah no, uh, race uh, also nailed it yeah. okay and uh spingal says beauty desires admiration until it tires of it if there is too much flattery mm-hmm. one starts doubting the veracity as well as the worth of that flattery and then she says she only gives shape to his imagination and he calls it a rare gift they basically flirt jagged level flirting it's too much for us she then tells hope that there is a house has got some reprieve and even the ghost is invigorated now hood asks her for a favor he tells her to spread the word that it will be very soon now she agrees and while leaving she tells verandas that she shouldn't have slept with him he says yes because now he is eternally smitten with her she finds this pathetic and decidedly unattractive i think she tells and verandas seems to still think there is hope of getting together with her he says see this ground with hope and watch me flower with a sense of delight and anticipation verandas is a pure romantic at heart i just like him him her whatever so much <laughs> she tells him they are about to war with the dead and he says bad timing is another one of his curses and then she leaves and varanda senses that gethol is coming back who i think starts saying don't be ridiculous and then he says yes i should have expected gethol will come back <laughs> and he says uh, he expects a fist to his nose which is always better than a long conversation he tells him it was not his fault and varanda tells hood be sure to tell that to gethol yeah <clears throat> So that's scene seven. Now scene eight. You want to talk about scene eight? Arathan and Korea. This is like nothing really happens. We're almost done. Erikol prowls yeah. the walls of the Azer, and Arathan can't stop staring at her. Uh, do have we ever mentioned the theory of who Arathan is? I think we must have. Uh, right? We have, right? I think we have. I mean, it's well, not confirmed. It's rehashed. not denied. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, wonderful rehashed here, no? Sure. So who is Arathan yeah. in the uh, Book of the Fallen? So the most. Um... convincing as a both theory we have so far is that Arthan and Ruth are good for a handful of reasons among them the name yeah. because you know can be too original and you know get too much of a different name <laughs> um you know the fact that Ruthan is an elder but not what you think it means and so on and so forth more burden to Korkanas his Arthan's name means to walk on water and he has an aversion to dogs for reasons um and you know a few other things basically it lines up quite well like korea being quick ben it's not yet confirmed and another theory i've seen is that arathan is just another one of the souls in quick ben which is interesting um we also raised i think way back when like dinosaur times uh the theory that arathan's mother is triss yeah i mean it seems very convincing we haven't had any yeah. reason to believe otherwise so far which is it's just a walk in water and she has something to do with water all the time so yeah and the dreams most of the dreams yeah but yeah so um no, i was yeah. br- bringing that up here because who is the woman ruthan gets uh, together with in i think dust of dreams canaro she's a warrior woman right so yeah i was thinking of that because he's seeing erico and thinking does he like warriors or not he, he can't decide so meanwhile korea and hout are arguing at a little distance away and the remaining seragal have all limped away maybe they're a little humble now because death has a good way of bringing down arrogance The air is strangely still, and even dust seems to be hanging in the air without settling. 
it felt like nature was holding its breath now korea finishes arguing and she tells sarita let's go where anywhere but here behind them ericol and some other jagged women join out with a jug of wine korea says nothing makes sense yeah this is what i wrongly attributed because arathan who says nothing yeah. makes sense yeah yeah because this yeah. is a dead civilization then where did this wine come from she turns around sees and says that jagged woman is called sanad is this person in book of the fallen yeah sanad she is one of yeah sanad i one think she 14. might even be the speaker woman of the of the 14 jagged i'm not sure but yeah all of the I jagged names we've seen except for yeah. uh, every jagged here gethel is uh hotherald in the book of the fall. Yeah, yeah. So he too is undead, Brooks but he's not a member of the of Hot Wheels. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So I don't like it also, but so. So yeah, every yeah. dragon you see here except for Gothos and for Spingal, which isn't really a dragon, is a member of Hot Wheels. So uh, she says that this jagged woman is Sanad, who was his old lover, and now they're getting drunk together and somehow Korea doesn't like it. She doesn't like jagged women apparently because they know too much and they say too little. Arathan tries to banter but then she tells him not now i'm not in the mood or something she is now an orphaned hostage and but also so much more than that arathan doesn't want to argue so he tells her that he's looking for some warriors you know back in the realm of the dead but maybe they are dead he wants to ask the warriors if it was worth it the fighting and the killing she thinks they are not going to tell him anything and even if they did it won't be worth it because they died that means they failed but more than all of that he is not going to get any chance because arathan is now her keeper she is his hostage and he has to deliver him her to house dracons right because he belongs to that house he says something like i'm only a bastard son and she says no 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 you were already acknowledged by draconus so it is his responsibility to deliver her safely to kurangelin to his father's estate and once she is safe there he can do what he pleases and arathan says this is all very underhanded she says get ready we are not going to linger Arathan says that if he is the keeper then he gets to decide when they de- depart from here and he's very busy he has an important job to translate Gothos for him and she tells him he is an idiot if he thinks Gothos is ever going to stop i i thought you would have worked it out by now and Arathan says no he's getting to the interesting bits now so basically it is autobiographical in nature and the story begins on the day he ended civilization and then it keeps going back in time she calls it stupid and Arathan says the point is there has to be an end somewhere when he reaches his earliest memory and so far he has managed to translate 6 years but his writing itself goes back a couple of centuries and how old is gothos 2 or 3 2 or 3 centuries no 2 or 3 millennia she almost hits him and controls herself and then arathan says there are dead people he needs to see she tells him to instead look at the living and they might say something worth hearing he says it might be irresponsible of him to take her back to civil war and what does she say just fuck off will you i'm off to see a man with freckles on his arms yeah so it's a nice circular conclusion to this chapter it's mm-hmm. a nice small break of a chapter right like yeah. good one anything it's like add? chapter 15 right it's like rather than having galan tell you oh it begins you have a character in the world saying oh it begins and well, oh, it, it begins. begins yeah yeah so yeah <laughs> this is a more or less another shift in the book where things start to happen. We already saw that the deniers turn into eater somehow. Somehow, somehow, yeah. Um we what else we learn? Beyond the hood starting and you know there's an Azathani here. What else? Uh, also you know the Sergal and the Azath. Yeah. Yeah. Chapter 4 has already like brought up this whole thing about what do you call the veils of time. Mm-hmm. It's not a new concept. So yeah. That's a nice 
and uh, one thing i wanted to mention is yeah is yeah. the same sea monster we see in midnight tides this trap sea monster no yes maybe yeah there is a lake i think it's like frozen inside the lake or something yeah yeah by there jagged. is a different jagged there that is called huntress it's not yeah see see there's so but many huntress not a name it's a title it's a title she's the huntress yeah. of the beast hold so yeah but she's a jagged right yeah was it beast hold ice hold ice hold probably yeah I, I have no idea. Yeah. Like, I just remember Bug saying that, you know, you should keep friendship with... Yeah, it pays to keep, yeah, yeah. Some of the Tlani yeah, Master learned, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> right, do you want to yeah. wind up? Yeah, the, yeah one uh, piece of trivia I wanted to mention yeah. is the fact that we have, like, excerpts from Gothos' Folly means that Arathan really did sit and translate a whole bunch of more stuff. <laughs> Poor fucking <Yeah>. bastard. <laughs> he, needed, he needed a job. He was interning. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, next week is chapter 14, yeah. which is very light, very light-hearted. I think it's yeah, full yeah. of jokes. Yeah, I, uh, I assure you. It's utmost right-hearted. Yes, for sure. Yeah, it does have a few laughing. interesting scenes with, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. interesting so I'm not scenes. i not yet. So, okay. Mm. Bye. Yeah. See you. <laughs> Good night. I guess. Yeah. Yeah.